Hello. Thank you for coming back, if you are. If not, that's fine, too. Um, it's been a minute since I've posted um, July 29th, so August, September, October. Over three months. Um, in this episode, I am going to likely share just what's happened since I've came out of the non-religious closet. Um, and also just kind of try to articulate what I am hoping to use this podcast for. I know I mentioned some of this in the first episode and some of those goals are shifting. Um, originally I had named this podcast wrestling with God and I really liked that name. I also loved the artwork that came with it. But I have a lot of things that I would like to talk about. And um, religion doesn't need to be the sole focus of my attention, whether that being against religion, against religion or, or just having conversations about it. Um, the reason that I also am having to shift on this is I didn't have anyone welcome the idea to be on an episode for talking about religion. So I don't quite know why that is, and I'm perfectly, I'm perfectly fine with that. But given that, I still wanted the chance to talk. Could be, could be my ego. It's entirely possible that I'm looking for a platform. Um, but what I'm hoping for is a chance to articulate some of the problems that I see and try to fumble around with them, I guess, on air. Um, so I've renamed this to Rule 10. Um, I could imagine some of you might understand what that is, but this it's in reference to a book written by Jordan Peterson called 12 rules for life. Rule 10 is be precise in your speech. The reason I chose that aside from being an adamant fanboy of Jordan, you could call me his lobster. Um, one of his lobsters. It's, uh, but rule 10 is an emphasis on taking things out of the fog and trying to see if you can clearly articulate what it is you have to say. And one of the things that I most greatly appreciate about Jordan is he has this ability I mean he went to I believe over 150 cities in a matter of about a year talking about the 12 rules that he had and I haven't listened to every episode but I've probably listened to close to more than 50 and every single one of them was different and one of the things that he talked about that was just really neat was that he started out behind stage trying to find a problem that really bothered him. 
And when he would come out on stage, he would try to solve that problem in real time and try to advance what he knew about that idea just by fumbling around with it. And I think that was absolutely evident in the original content that came from every one of those posts. So there's a lot of things that I have fumbling around through my mind, whether it be what I'm reading or the political nature of our time. And I, I don't know how useful what I have to say will be for anyone, but I think that learning myself on how to speak what I have to say about the things that I'm thinking will be useful. And so I think I'm going to be using this as a way to articulate what it is that I'm fumbling through, the problems that I'm dealing with, the challenges that I see in life, and just some of the ideas and thoughts that I have. So I don't know if that is at all useful or a good idea for anyone, and if it's not, that's perfectly fine. I don't imagine that this is going to be the next big thing, but um, maybe just having an imaginary stage is is useful enough, but I would like to learn to, to, to practice with that and fumble around with ideas and feel that there is a bit of a cost for me to saying things wrong, given the fact that it will be public. And so there's an element of seriousness that I have to take with this, that if I were to just do it privately, it might not have the same effect. If I were just to record myself on camera saying something and keep it for myself. So given that I don't have any specific thing that I am going to be focusing on directly, what I was thinking of doing was essentially coming to each episode with a problem, a problem that genuinely bothers me and trying to articulate that problem and figure out if there's an answer that I can come to or just by saying it could be useful. You know, maybe it's so fumbled around in my mind that just being able to get it out could be useful. So that is a very generically weird way of saying I'm revamping this podcast and I welcome anyone who comes along for the ride. As far as an update of what has happened, so I came out of the spiritual, non-spiritual closet uh, three months ago, three, yeah, a little more than three, and I have been amazingly surprised by the good response that I've gotten from everyone. There, there wasn't one, there wasn't one hostile conversation that happened. Um, the hardest ones I had were with my family, but even they were accepting and my relationships have luckily stayed intact. So I got very, very lucky. Excuse me. I got very lucky on that end 
I know that there's a lot of people who do lose their relationships because of leaving the faith, let alone losing their lives or having the threats of it. So I'm, as far as the threat to my life goes, I'm on an absolute win. Um, I have had a very amount of, I mean, the, the most common thing that I had people say was they felt that this was God's plan. Like this is exactly where I needed to be, which I have found a little bit annoying because it's, it's kind of in a way saying, you know, even when you try to leave him, you're still within his grasp, but that's that's fine you know I, I i it is encouraging to to hear something like that um what is strange though for me is the fact that i honestly i don't want to find that god exists um so i i can already hear the voices screaming of you're just running away um but I think it it sounds it sounds much worse to me to hear that there is a giant being in the sky that is keeping track of all of your wrongs and if you don't do exactly what he says then you will burn forever for it and, um, but don't worry, he's still good. And you're not allowed to question that because you're just human. Finding out that that God exists doesn't really sound very pleasant to me. Um, because I mean, this is something that I've talked to my wife about is let's just say that some miracle happened right in front of me. You know, some person that I personally knew that was in a wheelchair, um, was no longer needing a wheelchair. And I could see his medical records that he hadn't gone to a doctor before to get some miracle surgery and was just trying to trick me. And then right after that, there was my grandpa and he, his back was just magically healed and he's suffered from back pain all his life. And then my back gets healed. You know, I've dealt with some back problems as well. Okay, great. Um, you've shown me that you're existing, but... I've got a lot of questions. And the thing that is is really funny is I feel like, um, you know, it's actually not funny. Most likely what you could expect from a God, from God in that situation is silence. You know, he's just like, look, I gave you your miracle kid. Now what do you want? Oh, well, I'm not going to talk to you. I want you to have faith for the rest of your life. You know, I've witnessed, I've shown you three miracles I've given you one yourself. So that should be good enough for you to continue. Right. Um, and my answer is honestly, no, it, it wouldn't be good enough because it doesn't answer any of the fundamental questions that I have. Like, why don't you talk back? Is this really supposed to be a relationship? Why did you have people kill people for imaginary crimes like witchcraft why are you okay with genocide as long as it's on your team why do you need 
people to praise you nonstop for eternity after they've died and spent their entire life praising you hypothetically? Why is there so much? How can you stare and watch the chaos when you have the ability to do something about it? Why is there the rule that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins? Why did you make that rule? If you didn't make that rule, who did? And doesn't that make them more of a god than you? I mean, there's there's a lot of questions that I could ask that just by watching someone get out of a wheelchair, it doesn't fix the problem. It doesn't It doesn't do anything. It just confirms that there's this, at least in my estimations at this moment, terrible monster out there that if, if and when I die, I'm going to burn forever for. That, that's not comforting in the least. So there's, there's a lot of reasons why I would prefer that this thing not exist. Um, so I, I am dealing with that and it's very, I don't know, I just noticed it's very interesting that I'm not emotional while talking about this. It's been, the moment I came out with the last episode, it was very difficult for me to talk about this without just being sarcastically rude, at least interpersonally with me and my wife about Christians, That, um, which I have to commend her for. She's been a real, a real trooper just being willing to hear me just knock back some of the problems I have. Like, and I'm sure she's frustrated by it, and I'm sure she's frustrated with God for it, because um, some of it isn't fair. Um, but I have to commend her for that. Just she's got a strong back. Um, but no, it's, it surprises me that I've just even talking about this now that I'm not really activated in, in, in any sense that I can just talk about it. But, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of questions that I have that if this God did exist, I'd still have issues with him. And if I were to witness miracles, I don't imagine that that God would continue to stick around being so useful. You know, it's just like, oh, wow, I've witnessed three miracles. Hey, can we talk for a second? I would imagine it would just go to straight silence. And then the same argument would happen where, um, everyone would tell me you just have to have faith. And it's like, well, that's wonderful because now I've got to have faith in a tyrant that I don't want to exist uh, just so I can spare myself some hot mess later. And that that doesn't sound too good to me. So um, that is currently where I'm at right now. Um, I'm not really doing much in my... Um, in my lack of faith, um, I was on an episode with my brother-in-law, Chudir. I'm going to plug his podcast in because we had a great conversation and it was regarding race. Um, and, you know, he asked me, do you, he knows I don't call myself an atheist. And I asked him why, and I answered why, um, when he asks you know, what I do, I, you know, on the, on the weekends, what that means as an atheist is that I'm taking crosses and I'm burning swastikas into them. And then I sacrifice children. Um, that's the very reason that I don't use the word atheist. It's, there's just such negative connotations to it that, um, it's not worth 
putting yourself in that box. Like technically, politically speaking, I would swing more conservative or Republican. But the box that that puts you in as far as what people assume about what that makes you is almost useless to try to claim aside. But technically speaking, yes, I, I am an atheist. And part of me wonders, you know, why why not just own up to it? And that's, I mean, there's definitely something to be said about that. You should call a spade a spade if it's a spade. And I am wrestling with that. You know, there, maybe I'm refusing to fully take on what I'm taking on, but I, I just think that there's too much of a cost to saying this, at least within my community and my friendship group. And let alone, um, I guess what I could say is, th this reminds me a little bit about just saying the words white privilege. If you say it, people immediately just put put you in a box. So if if someone were to say, you know, Gino, the only reason you have a podcast is because you have white privilege, um, that's all they would need to say, and most people would think that what they said was a, a solid argument because everything that white privilege means in today's culture is just thrown in to those two words. And so I feel the same connotation happens when it comes to saying the word atheist. If you say you're an atheist, there's this unfortunate view of atheism that is valid. There are plenty of atheists who have gone out of their way to really make Christians' lives miserable. Like, all they want is essentially for religion to end, and they have a complete disregard for the idea of God, and they will actively try to go against that side, and I don't like that. It's it's not healthy, it's not useful, and I I would like to make sure that that isn't me. And so the, the cost of, of saying that I'm an atheist, I think is something that I just, I don't like because I don't like what it means when it comes to joining that team because I'm not on that team. The, the things that I do agree with is there are plenty, but there's there's plenty that I don't when it comes to the common use of the, the word atheist. So that is essentially in a nutshell where I'm at. Um, there's a few arguments that I got that I really wanted to share, but I don't know if I can share them well. Um, there's a few things that I had some friends of mine saying, well, you know, if there is no God, then it doesn't really matter what happens. And I I really don't like this argument at all. Uh, first of all, because I don't believe it. I don't believe that anyone actually believes this either. You genuinely, for some reason, whether that because, be because of your neurological wiring or because of God, you care about your family. If there was no God and you're still wired the same, you still are going to care about them. So if we found out that there was no God and we were alone, 
we'd still have the same problems that we face today because we have those problems. And so just by finding out that there's no God, it doesn't magically make the problems that we've been facing disappear. We've been facing what it means to live well amongst a bunch of other humans since we've had humans. And so I, I think that this is a really big issue when it comes to people arguing that if there is no God, nothing matters. I mean, what I said in the first episode is that we could just go in the streets and be raping and pillaging. And that that's just absurd. It's, of course you could do that. Yes. And to say that there's no such thing as an objective right or wrong, I would agree. I, I don't believe that there's an objective right or wrong. There's, there's too many gray areas in every situation. And I've been coming to realize the absolute danger in ever saying, I know what is right. And I know what is wrong. And therefore, any other translation is unable to share its voice. That is the voice of a tyrant. And so for anyone to say, you have absolutely zero ground to argue any other point of view is inherently dangerous. And so whether that be on the Christian point of view, or I mean, you can see the danger of it on the Muslim point of view, if you look back at some of the recent decades there's clearly a danger to thinking I know what's right and it's not me that knows what's right. It's God who says so. So therefore anything that's within that line of thought has to be followed to a T and can't be broken from. There's a lot of bad logic that can follow from that. If you genuinely believe that your God is going to give you 72 virgins, then blowing up a plane into a giant building doesn't sound too bad. I mean, 72 virgins, you, it, it could take you a minute to get through all of them. That sounds pretty fantastic if you're a single man that's depressed and doesn't have any other hopes in life. So it, there, there's some very tragic conclusions that thinking that your answer is the answer and so when someone says, if there's no God, there's no absolute moral values, I don't think there are, even if there is a God, there shouldn't be absolute moral values because there are costs to saying what you have to say or what God has to say has to stand no matter what, because nothing should stand no matter what, given the fact that as time shifts, opinions should shift, morals should shift, values should shift, because the problems that we had 200 years ago aren't the same problems we're facing today. So the morals that worked for 200 years ago, while you could technically argue that they probably didn't, there's definitely morals that we have now and problems that we have now that 200 years ago's model isn't going to be good enough. And so back to the the idea of when someone says if there's no god it doesn't really matter one of the things that crossed my mind after the episode the first episode came out was i i was reading an article about the andromeda galaxy that was it's heading our way to the milky way and it is going to collide with us it's going to take about 5 billion years and i already can see people's heads just eyes just rolling um, but it's going to happen. And so 
we have, as a species have a bit of a conundrum. If we want to continue existing, we are going to need to deal with this problem. Now, to be fair, the calculations don't expect it to impact our solar system. So what's the problem there? Well, the problem is our sun will die in about 1 billion years. So we're going to have to have gone out of our solar system by then. So let's just say we left that solar system after a billion years because we had to. Well, how do we know that that sector that we made it out of is going to be a sector that isn't going to be impacted by the Andromeda collapse or merging? So that there's real problems that we have to face when it comes to our future. And to say that if there's no God, then it doesn't matter if we all just die. I, I, it, it's just, I'm honestly... What makes you think that you really care about people if you can so passively justify the slaughter of 9 billion people just because there's no God. I don't understand how you could say something like that or think something like that and consider yourself a good, loving person. One of the most common arguments I hear on the Christian side is, you know, if it weren't for God, I wouldn't be able to love people. And that's just my mission. I'm just loving people and having relationships with them. But it's from the mouth of people like that that have said to me, well, it wouldn't matter if they died. It makes me really skeptical about your love for humanity if you can passively allow that idea. It's a big problem. So... Why is it a problem? Well, one, we'd be dead. Um, so experience would cease to exist. So that's, you know, a bummer. I mean, the, the things that we get to experience when it comes to love and just beauty and nostalgia and dreaming and the impact of just music, those things gone, no one to exist to experience them ever again. That sounds terrible. And if you were watching a movie, you'd think that's terrible. You know, if you watched everyone just die, you'd walk out of that theater just being like, man, that's so sad. Like they're all gone. There's no, there's no more, there's no more experiences. No one believes that none of this matters. We all have the same problems. I understand the, the basis for saying that there's no objective reason to make it true or good. And uh, that's why I'm conceding at the idea that, yes, th th there wouldn't be an objective stance. There's no objective values um, in the first place. And I'm not just trying to, I, I, I'm going to try and be honest here. I'm not just trying to formulate, at least I don't think I am. I'm not just trying to formulate how to have a universe exist without God. And so then it's just like, okay, well, if there's no God, then there can't be more value. So I have to secede that. And so now I've got to come up with a rationalization on how that works. It's, it's partly along that line, to be honest, because of course, I'm wrestling through, well, if there's no God, how would this work? But 
I have to take my argument seriously. It's just like, okay, if there is no God, then yeah, that would mean there's no objective moral values. And so then I have to think, well, do I actually believe that? And I have to think that through. And that's what I have been thinking through. And I think I have reached the conclusion that I don't think that there really are. If you, if you look at the scale of history, the, even the Christians followed the morals of the time. The Christ, I mean, Christians held slaves. Christians burned witches. Christians had the, the crusades. Christians, I mean, whatever Christians were doing at the times that Christians were doing it, it matched the moral system of the society around it. And that's not an accident, in my opinion. I don't believe that's an accident at all. I think that we as a human species have had a hell of a time trying to figure out how do we live together without killing everyone? You know, what's the best way for us to not all die? And that's a hard question. And so we get it wrong a lot. We're still getting it wrong today a lot. And we don't know what the hell we're doing. We don't know how to make this any better. And so it's going to take us a stumbling around for thousands of years just trying to get this right. So it's like, oh, you know what? It, it, it makes sense that we should be able to own slaves. And you know, let, let me add some rationalizations to that. We'll just call them three-fifths of a person. And, you know, God, even the Bible says slavery is fine. So as long as I treat my slaves well, which I'm sure that there were Christians who followed that creed, then it's perfectly morally justifiable. And so what what is interesting is I would imagine that if you were to ask, why did Christians hold slaves? And they would say, oh, it was because that's what everyone did. You can't you can't hold someone completely to today's standard of yesterday's morals. And I 100% agree with you. I'm just trying to be consistent in my logic. If the argument of God's word is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and if, if God truly does give us the Holy Spirit and convict us where we're wrong, then I would imagine that the Christians who had the following and inclinations of the Holy Spirit would be a little bit of a step ahead in the moral arc of history. That doesn't seem to be the case. Now, of course, Christians did make an impact on slavery, but there were Christians on the other side who also made an impact on slavery for its negative point. So there's, there's no clean cut answer to say, oh, Christians have always been leading the way on morals because that's just not the case. So in my opinion, the if you look at the moral arc of the moral arc of the human race, it's been a terrible up and down of atrocity mixed by a little bit of improvement, mixed by atrocity and a little bit of improvement. And where we're at today, well, we're better than we were. But I'm sure that a hundred years from now, they're going to look back at the 2020s and just say we were monsters about something and it's because there's things that I just can't see that they will see when they look back. And I mean, I'm, I'll admit that now that there are definitely a giant amount of things that I'm probably ignorant of that I either couldn't have known to be good to, to make myself better as a person or that I am willfully blind to and choose to ignore. And 
none of those things are justifiable. It's just that is where we're at. So um, I think that one of the things that I came to the conclusion of is if this were the case, if there was really no objective moral values, then what? Wouldn't that mean that we, we would get this wrong, you know? If it's just left to human error, then, you know, who, who says what is good truly is good? And I agree with that. I mean, that, this goes back to the slavery argument. This goes back to Stalin, Hitler. I mean, we are very prone to taking someone's word for what is good and being just completely wrong about it. The, the cost of this moral conversation that we're having as people is that we could easily get this wrong. We could easily make a mistake and just say, you know what, 100 years from then, oops, are bad. You know, America's history is obviously ripe with this and so is every history in the humankind we it we don't seem to have a really good track record of doing things without having to look back with shame of the ways we handled things so i think that i am being consistent when i say if you look through history there doesn't seem to be an overarching theme. It's been a stumbling along of micro-improvements, and we are just as likely to have macro-destructions. Uh, it's probably the not, not right word. The giant amount of digression of making things worse than they could have been. And so I, I think that that uh, argument does hold up. I slightly want to go back to the Andromeda situation, you know, when everyone dies. This is one of the core issues that I have with Christianity is its passivity as well. So um, aside from saying, you know, it's no big deal that everyone dies, there's also this passivity that comes along with believing that Jesus is coming back that is actually harmful. So I just made an argument that, you know, we have to do a lot of work to get ourselves off out of this solar system and most likely out of this galaxy. Okay, that's going to take a long time. In in the history of our species, we've made it to the moon. We haven't had anyone make it to Mars yet. We're pretty stinking close. We don't know how to build and terraform Mars yet. We, we're, we've got a lot of work on our hands. So this is a big problem. Now, even if you decide... You know, I'm just going to go back. When it comes to believing that Jesus is going to return, the passive answer that I know would come is, well, Jesus would just return before a billion years. You know, he said he'd come back soon. It's not going to be a billion years, so don't worry about it. It's not going to happen. Well, unfortunately, if we take your word for it, so let's just say, you know what, we're just going to trust the religious scholars on this one, there's an absolute guarantee that Jesus will return to earth before earth is destroyed by the sun not existing anymore, then what happens if you're wrong? Well, guess what? What happens if you're wrong? We all die and we will have missed out on the chance to escape because of the passiveness of the 
unfalsifiable, not backed up claim that Jesus will return. So the cost of, I I asked this question in the first episode, the cost of, you know, what happens if you're religious and you're wrong? Because Pascal's wagers is like, you know, hey, if you're, if you say you believe in God and you're right, then great, you go to heaven. But if you're wrong, it doesn't really matter, you die. Well, I, I think that there's a plausible argument on the other side. If you say you believe in God and you're wrong, you know, and you're okay. So if you say you believe in God and you're right, great, you know, whoo, you make it to heaven. You get to praise him forever. Good for you. But if you're wrong, first of all, you you lost your life worshiping something that didn't exist. And so that means that there were experiences that you could have had that weren't and you were robbed of given a false narrative. And that's really a bummer. You know, there's there's a lot of things that you could argue that this religion did improve your life on given the structure and the community that it gave you and the relationships that you formed. Of course, it's not all meaningless, but there's definitely a cost Um, and one of the greatest costs is if everyone on earth believed this and we did nothing about trying to leave our solar system, we would all die. And that is a major cost. It's a cost for your children's children. I mean, of course, ad infinitum, but, um, it would be, it, it would be an absolute terrible thing to, you know, we're getting really close here. You know, it's, 3,000 years until Andromeda Galaxy comes up and you still have people on pulpits saying, Jesus is returning soon. Look, he said the stars will fall from the sky and the stars are literally falling into our system because there's a galaxy merging into us. And this is like, come on, um, do we do anything? No, just sit here and repent and do nothing because wait for our savior to arrive because you don't want to be the bridegroom who left without oil. And so there's this terrible cost to all of us. If we decide to take these stories literally seriously, if they're not true. And I think that that is a problem that needs to be addressed. I think that's a problem that needs to be confronted given the stakes. So that that is essentially where I'm at in a nutshell. I mean, it's a really, um, it's it's not the um, manifesto of leaving Christianity. And my my goal isn't to make you leave Christianity. What my goal is, what I would really like for everyone to be able to do is, if you're faced with a question, don't say it doesn't matter and you're just going to have faith. I think there's something really despicable about that. First of all, Stalin could say that, Hitler could say that, Mao could say that, Napoleon could say that, stinking Adam in the garden, if he was king of the garden, could have said that. It is a bad idea to say, I am going to question nothing because I'm going to trust the person that has gone before me. You don't know that the person that has gone before you truly has it right. Now, of course, you can't do this for everything. There's definitely a reason to trust some experts, some experts being people who have experienced God. So, so, I mean, 
there are valid explanations for this, but uh, on the pro-religious side. But if you have a problem with genocide, for example, which I would hope you should, and you read, or you know what, I like the rape situation better. Um, and I maybe shouldn't be so harsh, but um, I am going to bring back this situation. This this guy literally had his concubine raped by th- hundreds of men throughout the night, and it wasn't him who was punished. It was, of course, the people who raped her. But it was it was the people who raped her and their clan. But he's who sent the concubine out. So there's that's a problem. And the fact that he's supposedly a God-fearing man, you'd think that God would be like, hey, you know, not cool. You know, it's not really a good idea to send my daughters out to be raped all night. So um, I'm going to do something about that by, you know, killing you or having you go to prison because you literally participated in a woman's death by rape. Um, no, that's, that's not what God did. God just had the clan of the people who raped him, that woman to be murdered. The clan didn't do anything. The people who raped her should have been murdered. Okay. The clan didn't do any, didn't participate in that. That's like going to, I mean, this is what we did to Japan when it comes to the nuclear bomb. We said, look, you did this to us on Pearl Harbor. I'm going to kill two cities full of innocent people that had nothing to do with this war. Why? Just because I just want to say, fuck you. You're an asshole for what you did to Pearl Harbor. America, baby. Um, that's, I think we could have a really good argument about whether or not that was ethical. Okay, that's what God participated in by allowing the man who participated in or who contributed to this woman to be raped, letting him get away with it, but punishing the tribe. It's 24,000 people died. 24,000 people didn't rape that woman. Why did they die? Because they were part of a group that some bad behaviors enacted on. That's not justice. And so if you, if you encounter a, an issue um, that just doesn't make sense to you. I don't like the answer of saying, just have faith. I like, who are you to question God? Who are you, but a human to fully understand the mind of God? That is not giving yourself credit to being able to deal with problems that are genuine problems in the world. We have done amazing things as human beings. Now, I think on the very bottom of our achievements is an understanding that rape is bad. So I don't like this idea of hijacking our rational thinking, saying, who are you to understand the uh, absolute ethics of rape and punishment, you know, because you're not God. I wouldn't, I don't like to insult our intelligence to that degree. I think that you have the capacity to truly think this through. Now, if you can wrestle this through and come to a good no pun intended, good faith argument that on why God was justified in that. I'd love to hear it and all the power to you. But what isn't okay is to set that aside and say, well, God has to be good because, well, you know, God has to be good because he's God, you know. 
so uh, that that is something that I I would love for people to at least start doing. Be a little more skeptical. Don't take anyone's word for something unless you have good reason to. Um, and it being a book that's old isn't a good enough reason to believe that it's literally true. Um, it being a really good book and having stood the test of time does make a really good argument as far as how useful these stories are, but it doesn't make a, any argument into whether or not it's true, whether or not Moses actually saw a burning bush, whether or not Jesus actually rose from the dead, whether or not it's a good thing for us to await passively for Jesus to return because we want our lampshades full of oil. I mean, that's none of those things are good enough answers to draw from the fact that the Bible has existed for a long time. It, it, I mean, the trees have existed for a long time. It doesn't mean that they are God. And I know that that's a terrible argument, but the Quran has existed for more than a thousand years. That doesn't mean that it is the true God. The Jewish Bible has existed for longer than the Christian Bible, and they have refused to believe that Jesus was the son of God. That doesn't mean that they are correct because they're older. This, this argument of age is just not a good one. So, um, I actually wasn't planning on really talking through some of these issues, but I guess that is my problem that really bothered me today. Um, I would like to have some people on here. One, because I don't like the idea of just giving myself unlimited power to talk. If by some miracle people find these episodes useful, I don't want to find myself in a situation of thinking, oh, I, I must I must be a pretty big deal. Like, I already wrestle with that, and I'm trying to keep that at bay. Like, I, I, I genuinely don't even know if it's a good idea for me to be posting this right now. I found so much use in sharpening myself and putting myself on the background because I know my own proclivity to think of myself as a big deal. And I don't like that, and I'd like to correct for that. And so I've been using these last couple of years to fortify myself. And I think that there's a lot of things to be said about that. So... I've really been thinking about doing this podcast for a minute. It's been on my mind almost every single day. So I decided just to record something and I don't know, I might stop just for the sake of keeping consistent with the idea that I do need to sharpen myself. I'm 27 years old. I don't know enough. And it's not to say that I don't have anything to say. It's, it's to say that I am slowly starting to understand that there are a lot of people that have gone before me. There are a lot of people that know way more than I do. And for me to come out and try and say, listen to my opinion is just, it's just ridiculous for 27 years old. Like what the hell do I have to say? So rule 10 is, is my, I guess, I, I don't know if it's a compromise, but it's, it's what I felt comfortable with with because yes I'm sharing my opinion but I'm not I don't know that my opinion's right I'm just trying to state it as best as I can and I think I can live with that because I'm I'm simply 
formulating what I'm actually thinking, and I think that that can be useful. I'm actually going to be trying to do this in writing as well. Um, those things won't be public because um, that's scary. Um, but uh, I, I need to learn to articulate what it is I have to say. You know, my vocabulary is limited. I'd like to improve that. My ability to make an argument is decent when it comes to speech, but on paper, it's a little. Mm, I definitely can improve. Um, so I'm definitely going to be doing that as well. I want to sharpen myself. And so be precise in your speech is a focus on my desire to fully come to understanding the ideas that I have. And while that may include sharing an opinion, it's at least a reflection of the idea of not coming to the table that let me tell you what I think. It's let me stumble across what I think and maybe come to a conclusion at the end of it. I think it's at least humble enough for me to justify my continuing of, of talking. But one thing I would also like to do is I'd love to have people on here. I don't know what we'd talk about. Um, like I said, my brother-in-law had a fantastic conversation about race the other day. I'm going to include his episode in the description and that episode will link you, of course, to his channel. It's called Views from the Uninspired. Um, so I'm, I'm really happy with that. But I'd love to do something like that with other people, not only for the sake of making this just not boring by having me talk to you. It, it would also make sure that I can practice reciprocating ideas and listening like I said, I don't want to create an echo chamber of think of, of hearing if by some miracle anyone even listens to this, that what I have to say is profound. It's probably not. And even if it is, I shouldn't think that it is because that's going to take me to dangerous places and I need to keep myself in check. So having people on is a very, uh, to me, a useful practice to make sure that I am still remembering that I have a lot to learn and I can, and I can practice that by listening. So I hope whatever I had to say is at all enough to keep you listening. And if it's not, I'm still enjoying the idea of getting to try to practice talking about arguments well with a cost of potentially my reputation. So um, I think I will be posting another episode very soon, just because given that Biden just won, um, I am going to, I'd like to talk about what it is that some of the, what I'm hopeful for and also what I'm fearful of. So, um, thank you all for listening. If anyone does. And I want to send a personal thank you to every one of my family and friends who spent hours talking to me, listening to someone who said that they were going to leave the most important thing that they have. I have to thank my wife for, I mean, Nia-chan, you have listened to me just, just destroy any sort of dignity about religion over the last year as I've wrestled with this. And you deserve a lot of credit given the fact that this is an extremely valuable thing to you. So I'm, I'm, I'm in your debt in you giving me the room to talk this through and having not left me given the requirements of what caused us to be together in the first place. So I am, I am very thankful to you for that. So 
I will maybe be back. And thank you all for listening. Mm-hmm.